And so I've always said, just tell them about yourself professionally. That's all you have to do. It feels like a trick because you're trying to figure out how to beat the answer. And that's ultimately it. Is When we think about an interview like a game, when we think about a thing that we have to win, we're trying to figure out how to win it. Hi, and thanks for joining us for another episode of Hiring Behind the Scenes. And this is where we lift the curtain on the hiring process and talk to practitioners on the hiring side. This week, we are with Mike Pedito, who is an awesome content creator and has been a recruiter for over 10 years. He's built teams from scratch, and he has worked at large organizations as part of a broader HR function. Mike and I talk a lot about the quality of job search advice that's out there, how to gauge who is giving that advice and how to think about what you should take as good advice and what you should take as bad advice. We talk about the pressure on job seekers and and how hard the process is emotionally. And Mike brings his unique view, which tends to be very much a truth teller and give the hard facts. He doesn't sugarcoat the things. So it's a really great episode. We talk about a lot of aspects of the job search, interviewing in particular, and Mike shares even some of the process he's going through right now with his job search journey. So I really hope you enjoy the episode. Stay till the end, there's really good stuff. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hiring Behind the Scenes. This week, we are with Mike Pedito, who I have had the great fortune of meeting online and watching him grow an incredible audience with really authentic and honest advice. And he's got tons of experience as a recruiter, but Mike, better to introduce yourself than me butcher it. Yeah, thank you. You nailed it, right? I'm a recruiter. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. I'm I'm excited. I am someone who has been in recruiting for a decade and beyond that used to be like general office managers when like office managers were a thing before everything was remote and building teams there and having a lot of people report to me who fell into recruiting one day. And I started making content one day about it like five months ago and everything changed from there. And I'm excited. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to, to work with you all. I love talking about hiring. I'm very passionate about it. Uh, if you ever listen to me, I think it's pretty obvious. So I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Well, super pumped to sort of navigate two main themes. Uh, we're going to talk about interviewing. And then maybe I think we can fill a whole chunk of time on interviewing. How we find jobs. Like what are some ways to source opportunities that are maybe beyond just like looking at job boards. But interviewing. Interviewing is, I think... You know, sometimes some of the reasons I shy away from it because it sort of assumes you've gotten past the first part of the process and that in and of itself is really, really hard. But a lot of people do. And it's really, really devastating to then lose it in that part because like you got in, like the part that you didn't control was getting in. And then you got the interview to set the stage for people. Like, how do you think about the most common sort of stages of interviewing, right? Every company is different. But like, what would you say is like the prototypical interviewing process that somebody can expect? Yeah, I think it's like you said, it's different everywhere. But the typical interview process I think you see is first round recruiter screen, hopefully at least a half hour. I'm seeing a lot of these 15 minute screens I'm not a huge fan of, but typically you're going to see a first round recruiter screen. The usual next step is a one-on-one with the hiring manager. And then from there, it varies a little bit, some type of panel or group of people to meet from there. It depends on the role and the stakeholders, but usually some coworkers or another leader or someone you might be involved with. In a perfect world for most people, I think that is the process. Uh, From there, I think you start to see a lot of steps and 
tests and all sorts of things thrown in from there. But what I can think most people can rely on is recruiter screen, hiring manager, coworkers is typically kind of the the three steps, at least at a minimum. I think that they start to also bucket like by function, right? Like engineers may have a more predictable process, product managers. From the roles you've recruited for, are there like some macro groupings that we could do in terms of like interviewing typologies? Yeah. So yeah, I think you're right. Like in software engineering, typically there is going to be that step, but also some sort of technical interview and companies do it different ways. I've been a part of companies that do take-home assignments, which there's thoughts on. I've been a part with companies who do live coding assignments. I've seen companies who do kind of like elite coding quizzes, where it's just sort of like writing it as you go. And I've seen companies that do very in-depth technical grilling, like textbook knowledge interviews. So usually it's going to be one of those four, hopefully not more. And then, yeah, product management there is usually going to be some type of case study involved where you're going to be kind of given a scenario that the company has faced or made up scenario and prepare 20 minutes to talk about it and 10 minutes to answer questions. Creatives, there is almost always going to be a portfolio review uh, stage where you're asked to pick one or two pieces from your work and kind of defend them, talk through what the research you did, the, the lessons you learned, what you liked and didn't like about it. In recruiting, as many have learned uh, over the, the last year in this market, there is now a lot of recruiting assessments that often involve technical sourcing challenges and defending it. And I have been asked to do everything from bring two candidates for a very simple kind of full stack developer job and talk about them to find 20 robotics engineers in the next 24 hours on LinkedIn and bring them. So there are always various levels of these things, but usually now it is very common to have this sort of some type of assignment. People always ask, is this common? Is it a red flag? Is it normal? You can make it a red flag if you want, but it is definitely, yes, that is common and normal right now. So, you know, something interesting, especially with what you brought up with recruiting, I think, you know, and also like in our own hiring processes, we're starting to do this. Do you feel like there's more pressure to prove what I'll call like technical competence and a technical, not like hard skills, Right? Like, obviously, you have, like, the human interaction, but, like, people like, okay, anyone can put anything on the resume. In the interview, I want to see that you can actually do this. There is now, and it's hard. And one of the things I always say is there's no perfect way to do this. This is a flawed process. You can't please everybody. If I do it one way, half of the candidates hate it. If I do another way, the other half hate it. There's no pleasing everyone. But, yeah, there is a need right now. And there's a lot of debate about this. There's a lot of people who say, I have it on my resume. I've done this. You can verify this. But at the same time, then people will say, well, references are stupid, so don't call references. And there's really no way to, to verify this stuff. So it is becoming common to prove you can do the work. In some roles, you can just talk through it and you can get a sense that somebody knows what they're talking about. But in a lot of roles, especially when it comes to engineering, uh, something like software engineering is so different from company to company. And what is a senior level developer at one company would barely make mid-level at another company. And sometimes they they code in different mannerisms than are sort of anticipated here, whatever it might be. And a lot of it is sort of like, is this the right person with the right skills for this specific role and team? And And it is hard, but yeah, there's definitely that need to prove you can do the work because otherwise 
anyone could say anything. If you get very good at saying things enough, what's the proof? What's the perfect way to prove you can do the work? You've been recruiting long enough to see some cycles. Like, do you think that this is a little bit of a product of a tighter market that, you know, the hiring managers and departments have like less headcount and less budget? So they're just more diligent and they put each hire through more scrutiny than when they sort of have like high but high head counts and sort of like a little bit more ability or sort of like leeway to get it wrong because they're hiring 10 people versus two? Yes and no. These things have always existed. Technical assessments have always existed. I was doing recruiter screening challenges years ago on, on interviews. It was always sort of just the thing, having to do sourcing challenges and things like that. But I think the biggest difference now is one, yeah, companies are a little bit more scared to make a hire because of just everything going on. They're scared of a hire not working out and long-term implications of it. And yes, there are companies taking advantage of this being a, a company market. It wasn't that long ago. I mean, it was just a year and a half ago where if you could get a talented person, especially in tech, to give you the time of day, you would just sort of bring the briefcase out and give them whatever they wanted as quick as you could to get them into the company. So 100% companies have shifted how slow they're moving in this process, but it's not necessarily like nefarious either. There's also the things I always talk about that, you know, you've watched recruiting teams go from 10 people down to one at the same time that their applications went from getting 20 for a job to 500 for a job. And there used to be 20 people to go through 20 applications. And now there's one to go through 500. And it's just, everything's slowed down. Everything's sort of mucked up. And I think companies are both adding steps while cutting teams and while seeing more candidates than ever. And it's it's just led to the current situation. Something that is not maybe understood from job seekers, right? And this show is hiring behind the scenes. So we really want to give that behind the scenes view of things, which hopefully you can then sort of translate into what that means to you and actions you should take. But a lot of these things, again, broad generalizations, but they're not personal at the end of the day. Like I think what's often missed is this decision affects, it, it's career impacting for the person who choose to hire you. It's actually like a far more selfish act of moving someone forward than it is about the other person. It's like, I'm moving you forward. It's like, what are you going to mean for me? Are you going to help me be successful? Am I going to look positive? If I'm a recruiter, is the person, is the hiring manager that I'm handing you off to going to see me in a positive light? Or are they going to be like, why did you source this person for me? And so it's, it's oftentimes less about you as the candidate and more about how you, like your identity as an, as an extension of theirs and them kind of attaching their career to yours and moving you forward in the process. So can you give a little bit of the behind the scenes of like what it means for a recruiter to source on behalf of a hiring manager and and like maybe even like what some of those uncomfortable exchanges has been when you really wanted to move someone forward, but the hiring manager was like, no, and why'd you source this person? Yeah, and that's a great point. It's, there is a lot attached to moving forward, like you said. And, and one thing I do try to focus on candidates with a lot when I talk to candidates is that idea that this is personal to you because it's your job search and you're the one in there. But you don't exist in a vacuum during all this. You exist with a thousand other resumes that have come through and an overworked team that is just trying to make the best decision possible. And yeah, there's there's a lot that gets involved. And I think a lot of people have a general misunderstanding of like what a recruiter does versus what hiring managers do versus what HR does. And it can vary company to company. But a recruiter's job is essentially to work with the hiring manager 
to get an understanding of what the hiring manager wants for their team and figure out how to find that person for the team. So when I, I see a lot of people say things like, why won't recruiters pass people through if they don't have this or if they're missing this or whatever it might be? And again, the answer is because that is what the hiring manager is requesting for their team. So there is a lot to that because if I'm working with a manager and a lot of times it's executives and VPs and they have something very specific they want. Now, a great recruiter works with them, right? They talk to them about here's what's realistic. Here's what's not. Here's what you're going to see on the market. Here's the problems we're going to have is sort of the way. But at the end of the day, it is the hiring manager's decision what they want to do on their team. So a recruiter is ultimately working to help that hiring manager fill a void that exists. And it has nothing to do with the candidates. It, of course, has to do with the individuals because one of them is going to be there. But we never say we're going to go out and, and do this to this person or not bring this person in. One of the things I often say is there's no such thing as a perfect candidate, as, as the perfect candidate, the most qualified. Because what does most qualified mean? It's not number of years. Because we all know someone doing something for 10 years isn't automatically better than someone doing it for seven. It's not the best education. It's not the biggest name company. There's no real way to compare two people from like different backgrounds who have all done things in different ways and just say, this is worth 97 and this is worth 95. Like that's just not how it works. So yeah, there is a lot to that understanding what a hiring manager wants and attaching yourself to these are the people I think make the most sense for what you're saying. Going back to where we started a little bit, like in the process, it probably gets more and more subjective the deeper you get. So when we say a recruiter screen, it's probably a big enough company to have recruiters, right? So I think let's like put aside small companies where you're like interviewing directly with founders and CEOs. And, you know, those are like the really small companies that's like, like bigger companies. What's a recruiter looking for in that recruiter screen, right? Like I've read some stuff. Steve Dalton has this really great book called like the two-hour job search. I forget. It's a short number, but it's really about like preparing. And he's got some great statistics about like the decision is actually made quite early. Like a lot of them are even at the tell me about yourself as I was like around 50% are kind of decided at that point. So like what are things that people can, should be doing or like, well, what's the recruiter looking for in that recruiter scheme? Because right? obviously they got the resume and they move them forward. What are they looking for in that interview you know, helps them decide to move them forward into the rest of the process. Yeah. And I think there's a couple of things. I hear this stuff all the time too, with the like deciding within the first couple of minutes. I hate it. I'm not going to say nobody does it. I'm not going to say it doesn't work that way. I want people at least at a minimum to know that for most recruiters, you can even recover from a first impression when that stuff happens. But beyond that, essentially you're looking for two things. One is validating what you saw on the resume that made you decide you want to talk to this person. Because on a resume, you'll see sort of the skills listed, the, the keywords, whatever it might be. And I need to at least make sure that you do know them. You know enough. You have been doing this work. Um, it is an understanding you didn't just like randomly throw things on here. And I want to understand sort of the size and the scale and the scope of how you've been doing it. I'm someone who's worked at mostly those tiny companies you sort of mentioned. So for us, that really did make a difference at a tiny company because being a developer at Google is not the same thing as being a developer at a 20-person company with a four-person development team. Uh, they both have their own pros and cons. So it's making sure that it sort of validates what we need for this role. The other thing I think we're looking for is a general understanding from the candidate of what the challenges are of this role and if they're going to be able to answer it. 
and helping to see if they meet the core competencies is always the term I go back to. A great hiring manager, a great hiring plan has core competencies that this is what we need people this job. And our goal is to ask questions that help gauge those scores of the core competencies. And that's what they're looking for. And they can vary role to role. And you don't really know what they are coming in, unfortunately. Uh, and that's why sometimes you can feel like a great candidate who had all the right experience. But maybe you just didn't have this certain competency in a certain way that the company wanted. And that's the thing a lot of people have to kind of realize. Going to the stat thing. I mean, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about how I... I don't think like the decision's mostly done. I mean, sometimes, you know, like, well, this was a total miss. But this is not done to them. But the way I describe it to people is like, as soon as the interview starts, I'm kind of got like, if I think about like a yes and a no scale, like I'm putting weights on the yes, I'm putting weights on the no. And like, by the end, I kind of see where it balances out. So to your point, it can be undone. But like, ultimately, you want to get more points in the yes than the points in the no. But I do think they're not equal. I think like, no's earlier are harder to, like the person starts to check out. I think like, I do think there are sort of cues to look for. If if, if a person checks out early, it's just harder to, it's kind of a little bit like, I'll use this reference to myself, but like weight loss. It's just so much easier to put points on, uh, weight point pounds on than to get them off, you know? And I feel like it's a little bit like that. It's like, if you're in the negative, it's a little harder to sort of claw yourself out your pluses need to be like disproportionately better. So I I do think that that early stage of the interview is really important. And, and you've done a ton of TikToks on this question and I know you love it, but like the tell me about yourself question. I think it's, it's like in one extent less important than people think, but on another, it's actually quite important. Yeah, and, and I can see the way you're saying it too, because this is something I work with a lot of people um, on resumes and in interview questions in general, which is something important you have to keep in mind that once you lose people, it is hard to get them back in any story, uh, which is when we talk about doing behavioral-based interview questions, you cannot just spend five minutes setting up the situation uh, before getting there, right? You need to get to the interesting part. The blog post that I always cite, I forget who wrote it, but I quote it all the time, uh, start your story right before you almost got eaten by the bear. Uh, it's just sort of, you have to be right into the parts because People can't tune in and out of stories well. They are listening or they're not. So in that regards, yes, that tell me about yourself, that very first few minutes does matter. Because, yeah, if you let people should not be getting distracted, they should not be doing other things. They shouldn't be looking at a screen and doing other windows. But we're all lying if we say nobody does it and that it doesn't ever happen. 100 percent. So it is important to keep them tuned in for that. So I do think you're right that people overthink tell me about yourself in regards to they try and create these formulas. And I see all people say like, talk 40% professionally and 20% personally and 20% education. She's like, no, that is so complicated. But you do need to be able to not ramble. You do need to be able to explain a few highlights and, and key achievements of yourself. And you do need to be able to put that in perspective of why we're sitting here together. That ultimately is, should be the end of almost tell me about yourself, which is you've explained some things and then you say, which is why I'm very excited about the opportunity to do X, Y, Z in a situation like this. It's about telling a story of how we got here today. And that's actually how I do that when I do interviews. I never ask tell me about yourself. And yeah, like you said, I bash this question all the time, but it is going to be asked all the time and it is normal and it's a very common start of an interview. What I ask people is, 
what got us here today? Uh, you know, what has led us to being here in this interview, which maybe people would say that sounds overly complicated too, but I really wanted to be aimed at just sort of like, what are we doing here today? Right. It's just kind of talk to me about why you're doing in the career you want. Talk to me about anything you want is essentially the open-endedness I try and put to that. But the goal, yeah, needs to be telling, creating a story of here's who I am and why this next job makes sense for me beyond just because I want to get paid because so does every other candidate. What you're doing, you're doing a f- people a favor by asking the real question, right? I think that is the question everyone wants answered when they ask, tell me about yourself. They actually don't want to know where you were born. They actually don't want to know what you did this weekend. It's just like the colloquial version of like saying, why are we talking right now? That's really what people want to know. But everyone takes it literal. And I think this is one of the tricky things that really trips people up in interviews. And I get it, right? There's words. Words mean things. We hear them. We respond to them. But I think in interviewing more than almost sort of any part, you really need to think about the question behind the question and answer that. And I think a lot of people get that wrong. Like I hear that a lot with product managers that I talk to. It's like, well, they told me to like do this. And I literally answered it. It's like, that's not what they wanted. They wanted to see how you think, but you actually gave them the solution. They wanted to see how you problem solve. And I think with the tell me about yourself, really what people are asking is like, tell me why I should hire you. And sure, feel free to sprinkle in some personal stuff if you want, but unless it's relevant to this job and how you're going to make me more successful, kind of don't care. It's frustrating even hearing it described that way. And you're right when you describe it that way, because you see people's frustrations with job interviews. And I hear it all the time. Like, why does it have to be that way? And you're right. In a perfect world, everyone just says exactly what they mean all the time. And that's how we kind of go. But that's not the norms of life in general. Um, And it is silly to think there are questions behind the questions. And it's why when I make the videos I do about these interview questions, even when I hate them, so much of my focus is like, Here's why it's being asked. Here's what they really want. That's sort of the most important part. Um, And we can hate that. We can say, well, they shouldn't do it that way. Fine. I don't think people are trying to trick you. I just think we're more of us are bad communicators than good communicators. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's really not a trick. It's really not a game. It turns into a game sort of. And there are interviewers out there who play games, of course. And I say this all the time. Like, it's just no one's ever really like taught this stuff. People say, well, why do they ask it? Why do they ask? Why do you want to work here? I'm like, because when they were 16, they got asked that at the first part-time job they ever applied to. And then one day they started interviewing people to work at their part-time job and started asking that too. And they've just been on this cycle forever. You know, a great recruiter and a great hiring team trains this stuff, but it's not just an overnight change. And it is just sort of, here's how we've always asked it. Um, and, and it's what's being asked. And it, it is silly but it's also easy to prepare for. That was the first big video I ever had on TikTok was exactly that. Like, yes, we can wish it be a million ways, but we can also just be ready because I got asked these same questions six times in six straight interviews. And it's just like, if you're going to ignore that that's how it goes, you're just not setting yourself up for success either. Yeah, and I think this is where we can like learn. I don't think there's a lot of things we can learn from politicians, but this is one, right? Like they come in with a plan of what they want to say. And someone can be like, hey, what color is the sky? Like, well, you know, the grass is the greenest it's ever been. (laughs) And it's like, you know your pitch. And I think this is where it goes back to what you're saying. Like, what is the the purpose of this interview is like to validate, right? These are these like sort of like pleasantries at the beginning, which actually have a disproportionate amount of impact on the broader conversation. But ultimately, they're there to see, like, do you have the qualifications that you said you did on your resume? 
And like, do I think you'll be able to do it here? And so I think the faster you can get to that and give the person the confidence that you can do that, the more likely you'll get a positive outcome. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why it's just like, it's why I've always said, just tell them about yourself professionally. That's all you have to do. It feels like a trick because you're trying to figure out how to beat the answer. And that's ultimately it. Is When we think about an interview like a game, when we think about a thing that we have to win, we're trying to figure out how to win it. And ultimately, job interviewing and job searching is a loser game. You're just going to fail and lose more often than you do. But you just answer these questions and it's about finding the opportunity. It's, uh, I get a lot of response about these videos that say things like it's just like an ego boost and it's this and it's that, but it's sort of like, what is the perfect way then? This is lobbing it up. This is the T-ball question. This is the chance for you to set the tone of the interview. And this is something I tell people all the time. It starts with their resume and it goes into their answer for this. What's written on your paper and what you tell me in the first couple lines of this interview are what I'm going to ask more questions about and dig in further. So you can drive the narrative of so much by simply pointing out some of your highlights. I know mine. I know what I highlight at the top of my resume. I know what I highlight at the top of an interview. And then I know that people hear it and they ask more about it and I get to shine because now I get to talk about the things that I considered my highlights. This is your chance to say, here's my highlight reel. What would you like to talk about? Yeah, I also think there's like a real unnaturalness to bragging, right? And maybe bragging even isn't in the right word, but I do think we have to self-promote. And we all see the self-promoters and they're not generally seen in a positive light, you know, oftentimes because they're full of shit. But like, this is the moment. This is not the time to like self-deprecate. This is not the time. I tell people in advance in my interviews to say, look, let's take it as an assumption that you're a team player. I don't want to hear the word we, I want to hear I. I just tell them, it's like, I want to hear what you did. I'm hiring you. I'm evaluating you. I need to know what your kid. And I think there's kind of a right way to do that, you know, because people have all sorts of like weird sensitivities to language in terms of like, well, they didn't sound like a team player, but you need to leave the other person with confidence that you can do the job. That's ultimately what an interview is and the whole job idea. And I tell people this, like, yes, the interviewer might have more power because they're ultimately the decision maker here. But you have something they want. They have something you want. And you can make it as simple as a skill and money. But at the end, whether it's experience or whatever else, like they are looking to look good. A hiring manager does not want to hire someone that's going to make their job harder or their company worse. And that's ultimately what it comes down to. And this is your chance to sort of explain why you're going to do well. And it is frustrating and it is harder than it needs to be. But at the same time, there's no, like I always say, there's there's just no easy way to do it. And if you're not bragging right now, you're not going to get another chance. I say this to people all the time when I work with them on their resume, when I work with them on interview prep, it's just like, I get it. I get like we're taught humility. And in most places, you're going to be humble. You don't walk around your office all day bragging about the things that you've done. But if it's not on your resume, they're not just going to assume that you did it. And if you don't bring it up in the interview, they're not just going to assume that you did it. And if you downplay it, it sounds like it wasn't that important. And if you do it over and over and over again throughout an interview, you start to weaken what it sounds like. And you do need to do that. And what happens is you create a mixed read. Right. In an interview, everyone is trying to get a signal on you. 
They're trying to get a signal of if this is like good or bad, if you meet these competencies or if you don't. And if it's just muddled signal every single time because you're not telling them enough, you're not digging in deep, you're not really bragging about yourself, they can't just assume it. They can't just say, well, they told me that they sort of did this, but I bet they actually did it really well. So let's hire them anyway. Like you have to tell them that you did it really well and you you have to bust out of your comfort zone and you have to brag. This is just the time. Then get the job and go, you know, become introverted again. Most people interviewing you, I say some of them are also introverts. Uh, believe it or not, most recruiters are introverts. If you're hiring for technical development roles, trust me, the engineers and the VPs of engineering you're interviewing with are probably introverts. There are more introverts than you realize. It's just now's your chance to brag, just like you need them to brag about the company to you. I'm always looking for ways to like sort of move the process into consumer interactions because it's a transaction at the end of the day. Like, and it's hard to detach our emotion and our identity and how, how personal we take it, but it's a transaction. And so could you imagine going into a doctor and you're thinking about, you know, you're going to get a procedure done. You're talking to a couple different doctors and one doctor is like, well, it could go all right. I've done it a time or two. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I, I work with a great team. If they're available, maybe they could join. That person's not doing work on me. You know, I want to hear the person that's like, I've done this procedure 10 times. All 10 times, it was amazing. I'm super confident. This is how it's going to go. We're going to do this, this, this. I'm like, all right, this gives me like a sense of calm that I tell people that this one of the single most important things that you do in an interview is convey confidence. If you're not confident you can do the job, how am I supposed to be confident that you can do the job? Yeah, confidence is huge in this. And it's it's all so unnatural for people. It goes against sort of everything we're, we're kind of taught and, and that does make it hard. But yeah, there is an idea of, it's an investment to hire somebody. So when I hear people say, well, hire me because I need money. I need a roof. I need this. Totally get it. Absolutely get it. But so does every candidate. And we can only bring one in to do this role ultimately. And our main focus in this hire is the person that we feel is going to come in and have the best positive impact on the team, provide the best work for us possible. And you're the one who has to show us you can do that. Ultimately, there's just nobody else who can do that. And a lot of what we're talking about, I want to be clear in this because this question comes up all the time. So much of this is on recruiters. So much of this is on hiring managers. I know if I was a job seeker, I'd be listening to this conversation we're having and saying, well, the recruiter should do this and they should do this and it shouldn't be this way. And she goes, trust me, I know. I have spent a ton of time training people on this, but they're not on TikTok looking for help. They're generally not who listens to podcasts about job seeking on looking for help, right? They're at their job thinking they're doing great, waiting for somebody to come and train them on another way and convince them it's the way to do it. Um, but right now when we're talking to job seekers, it's about operating in the world that does exist and, and knowing how to move forward and do best in it. And that's, it's just this argument I have to have over and over again. I'm just like, this is what it is right now. Do you need a job today or in five years? So shifting gears a little bit to a topic that you and I are passionate about, maybe you even more so, is the nature of job search advice. And I think you just hit on it. I think that this is something I, I think about a lot. It's like, ultimately, we there's kind of two meta forms of job search advice out there. There's the hard to hear market-centric, like this is the truth. And then there's the advice that is around how we wished things were, right? So we'll use like the thank you letter as an example, thank you note, right? You should never send one, no one should expect one. Okay, that is rooted in my belief 
that you, sh- you shouldn't need to do one. Fine, fair, good point. But there is a greater than zero percentage of people out there that expect one. And so, hey, be part of the movement. Let's stop them all together. Great, I'm totally on board. It's an entitled thing. It's old, we shouldn't do it. But there are people that expect it. So just know that if you take that advice, you are cutting yourself off from a certain percentage of the market. And then you get the, well, you wouldn't want to work at that company anyway, which also I'm getting like an increased allergy to that response because that's about an individual person. Who knows? Maybe the company is great, but that recruiter really cares about thank you letters. So, and you know, and I think that's this kind of tension between people giving advice on how they want to see the world and then people giving advice on the reality of the world, which usually sucks, but it's also the game. Yeah. I am very passionate about this and I have this argument all the time and I sort of say the same things to people all the time of just sort of like, listen, Gen Z, Youth of America, whoever out there are the people who just say like, it shouldn't be this way, it shouldn't be this way. I'll tell you what I tell everyone who says this. Go fight the revolution. Change the world. I'm rooting for you. I hope you do. I hope it all gets better and hiring and everything is just like amazing one day. I hope work culture keeps getting better. And trust me, as someone who's been working for 20 plus years, it has been slowly getting better. Believe it or not, it was way worse 20 years ago than it is now. (laughs) So, you know, keep fighting that fight. But also, people need a job right now. So I am going to continue talking to them about how it is right now and the things that matter right now. And if one day that never matters anymore and you can watch my video on whatever the new social media platform is in 10 years and call me an old dinosaur talking about all things that like don't matter anymore, awesome. I'm glad we got there. But yeah, thank you. Notes is the perfect example. I think they're stupid. I think it's a waste of time, except for the fact that there are people out there who don't and they are making the decisions. And like you said, it's is that a red flag against the company because some person on the sales team somewhere likes getting a thank you email for this product manager role you interviewed for? Like now the company's no good. Um, it, it just doesn't equate that way. And I've had this fight. I had a fight in a recent role where there was someone on a sales team. They weren't the hiring manager for this role. They were on a sales team and they were comparing two candidates during a debrief. And one sent a thank you message to them on LinkedIn right away, and one didn't. And they were very clearly saying they preferred the person who did because of the effort that it showed. And trust me, job seekers, it wasn't a pretty conversation back and forth uh, between the two of us. I was doing your fight for you in this situation. But at the end of the day, the hiring team is going to make the decisions that they make. And this was still a good company who hired good people and had good things going on, even though this person had a preference for getting a thank you email. Um, So yeah, it is about what it is right now and how things are. Should we not ask, why do you want to work here? Probably not. I never do, but people do. Should we not care about thank you notes? I don't care, but people do. And I only want to exist. The whole reason I give advice is to help you get a job in this terrible market. It's unfortunate, but you do have to kind of play to the lowest common denominator or be very prepared for like the consequences of that decision, which could be fine, right? Okay, if I don't want to work at company, no problem, but just know that you ha- those people do exist. I don't think we should like walk around in la-la land saying like those people don't exist. Now you could say again, I don't want to work at companies that require that. Your prerogative. But I also think to give advice as like, this is the way needs to have this caveat that like, that's fine. It can be this way. You can sort of buy into the revolution of like, you know, we're going to set the way. 
those people still are out there. And, you know, there's some that are touchier. Like one that I think is an interesting one to put out there is like pronouns on your resume, right? Look, some people have allergies to that, severe allergies to that. And that sucks because who cares, right? Like let me represent myself and I'm actually doing you a favor. This is how I like to be addressed. Like we're getting ahead of it. Some people are really bothered by that. Like, I think it's stupid. I think like there's so much bigger things to be worried about. But no, you put that on your resume, you are sending out a bad signal that this is something that matters to you. And there's someone who's allergic to that bad signal. I am a person who thinks that's great. I love it. I'm a fan. But, it, you know, but then it, they get tied up in like parts of our identity. So some like a thank you letter, eh, you know, that's annoying time. You know, some like this, it's like, that's touchy. And maybe I don't want to work in a company with people that, feel that way, but also sometimes you just don't know, right? Because it's, it, there are these like, they're conscious biases. They're just not out loud. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And for sure. And the pronoun one is an interesting one too, because yeah, it's like you said, like that makes sense to me for a lot of people, if it's going to be a difference maker, if you do not want to work for a company where the hiring manager refuses to speak to people who put pronouns on their resume, makes total sense for you. That is kind of a strong moral stance for you to say you don't want good, throw my resume out then. I don't want to work there either. But yeah, very different than sort of just like one of the people there likes a cover letter or one of the people there likes a thank you note. And, and there are those decisions to make. Uh, I posted a video the other day in response to just like this onslaught of comments I've been getting recently. Basically just like went online, made a video, just like stop being shitty to each other. And uh, someone was just like, well, I'm shitty to racist. Is that a problem? I was just like, okay. Like, I think you know where I'm going with this. Like, no, if you want to make sure that you don't work for a company that openly promotes racism, yes, feel free to continue doing that. And you're probably better off because you don't want to go work there. Of course, there are real lines to draw in the sand about some of this stuff. But simple little things like I'm not going to work for a place because they have an optional cover letter on their their thing or because they use Workday, because that's what the HR system decided that that they should be using, um, that's your choice to make. But you're also making the job search harder over little arbitrary things that don't actually say as much about the company as you think they do. People read far too into things sometimes. And these are exactly it. Like we have to stop looking for signs of a bigger picture out of every little decision that exists. Yeah, it's, it's a way to sometimes, right? it's like you got to really sort of put on paper the things that are the sort of non-negotiables for yourself. Because I also see that. I feel I see job seekers are trying to kind of solve for everything. It's like, well, they got to list the salaries in the JDs. They got to use an easy job applicant tracking system. They got to be like totally cool with no thank you notes, no cover letters. It's like, that's awesome. I would love to live in that world as well. Let's go ahead and stack rank those. Like what's like the for sure non-negotiable? Then like work your way down because especially in a tight market, we're not in a candidate's market right now. And so they're not all equal weight. And you got to start to decide, you know, which are the ones that you really are sort of no-goes. And then which one's like, okay, well, not a big deal. I can kind of look past that one. And, and it's different for everybody. I also think we're looking for these like universal truths. I think the part that everyone needs to internalize is that this is a very human process, right? I can give you the perfect playbook to interview. And it's like, this is the perfect playbook to interview with Mike. Oh, yeah. And then on top of that, this is the perfect interview playbook with Mike at a different company because he adjusted what mattered because it was. a. And so it's a very human, messy process. And ultimately, like intentions and this like trying to represent yourself best and make the company, you know, confident that you'll work out that the tactics are going to change. But like, you know, everyone wants this perfect step by step playbook. And the truth is, it just doesn't exist. 
yeah, humans are messy and they're all different. The very first video I ever made on TikTok was that exact video, right? There is no universal rule of job searching. And the example I gave, the easiest one, because it's the question, I go live every single day, right? Everyone knows this about me at this point if they pay any attention. And the question I get almost more than any other question is one page resume, two page resume, doesn't matter. And like people are so hung up in this. And I was like, look, here's the thing. I don't care. Send me a two page resume if it's good. I care about the content. But guess what? Someone out there does care. So if I tell you every resume can be two pages and there's a problem, there is going to be a person who doesn't like your two-page resume. There isn't a magic trick. You try different things. You try to see what works for you in different situations. You cannot win every situation. Every job is not for you. Uh, You're just not going to get them all. So yeah, people do want that sort of perfect thing. And it would be amazing if somehow that existed, but we are humans and humans are different. And you can do all the work you want to try and take bias out of it and to take all these things out of it. But ultimately, like we all have preferences for things and and for different ways of doing things. And it's all these topics we talk about. It's just none of them are the answer. They're all just pieces of a puzzle. And you never know which is going to be the one that works for you. And it's not going to work for your friend. It's why you can't just take everyone's anecdote. And it's why there isn't the one thing you did wrong. And that's hard for people. Because people want it to be that way because so many other things are that way. And it's why this process is so frustrating. I try to direct my advice to people. It's like, try to unpack the underlying like human motivation and operate from a place of intention because the tactics are just going to be so different. At, so at its core, we have a business, right? A business is an, organiz- an organism that's like trying to make money. And let's take out nonprofits and stuff like that. Or let's sort of go with like, right? Like they're trying to make money. They had some sort of deficiency, either lack of time or lack of ability. Therefore, they opened a job, right? That's why that, you know, they went through a whole long process. A job exists now. They know the things they're missing, whether it's a skill set, like they're missing some stuff. And they think that having that stuff is going to move them closer to success, whatever that means for them. It's kind of like that simple. Now, you need to prove in every step of that process that you are the piece to that puzzle that's going to help them achieve that goal. And every time you should just like ask yourself, is the thing I'm doing, the word I'm putting on this resume, the things I'm saying in this interview, helping them believe that I'm the piece that's going to get them there. The the tactics can be all over the map, but like if you can't honestly say, hey, what I just said is convincing and gets them to believe that I'm going to help them win, then it's like not adding value. And so it's not And this. I think this we have to decouple the personal people. It's like, well, but. You know, what about that time that I did this thing in high school? It's like such an important piece of me and who I am. It's like, I hear you. Save that for once you start working there. Unless it add, unless it helps them build a case and build confidence for how you're going to help them win, it's not relevant. Yeah. And it's what everyone needs in there is going to be different every single time and, and what creates that value for them. And, and it is about sort of finding that thing. And one of the things that I think shows people that as much as we can say the hiring process is broken, I think broken is the wrong word. You know, it's just it, it, their improvements can be made and this market is broken. What has happened that sort of has made us all is broken. It was much better previously. But the idea of hiring is not broken. But it's one of those things that like, you know this because every single group thinks that their group is the one sort of like struggling the most right now. Which shows that it's just like this, this general problem, right? Because junior people say that they can't get an opportunity because senior people are being hired because this market's so bad and senior people are taking all the junior roles. Senior people say that they're overqualified for everything and they can't get roles because companies want to hire cheap junior people. 
And people who have never done the job before say that they can't get an opportunity to stretch into the role. And people who aren't stretching in the role say everyone wants someone who's going to stretch in the role. And it goes around and around like this forever. Because at the end of the day, we're talking about one opening at one company that a thousand people are going for. And it's just everyone feels like everyone's going to lose except for one. 999 people are going to think that process was broken is just how it works. And that's hard for a lot of people to hear. And it's something that I really try to put a lot of focus on is just remembering those numbers. When you came in second place, that really sucked. And second place doesn't pay your bills. But you came in second place out of a thousand people. Like your time wasn't being wasted. They weren't just messing around with you. They were down to two people who were probably both incredibly qualified for this role. And they had to make a hard decision. And it could have just as easily gone the other way. And now I'm having this conversation with that other person who wants to know why they didn't get it and what they did wrong. And it's just not as simple as that sometimes. It's just everyone is struggling right now in the market, which is not a good thing, but it's certainly a sign that it's a market issue and not an idea of just like uh, hiring is broken. It's it's everything else is sort of broken around it. And I don't know if that's better or worse, but I think it's it's an important distinction. I do think it's something you can get good at. I think that... When I started Teal, I was like, oh, job search, job search. It's like, whatever. It's just like a process. But no, there are people that are good at job searching, and there are people that are not good at job searching. It was funny. It was like, it's not, right? No one puts, other than if you're a certified resume writer, says, no one says, I'm good at writing resumes on my resume. It's not a hard skill that anyone's hiring for. I'm good at interviewing. I'm good at negotiating. But these are these skills that you really do want to get better at. Right? Like interviewing is a skill, especially if it doesn't come natural, right? For some people, it comes easier. For others, it doesn't. But it is a skill. And it is something you can practice at. It is something you can get better at. Communicating more concisely is something you can be better at. And so I think this is one of those things that warrants practice and, and sort of staying, staying sharp at. Yeah, for sure. It's all the things. It's all the little pieces that add up in the matter. And yeah, you can be better at this and you can be worse at this. And that's sort of the thing, though, with this market is like when we talk about all these numbers that come out, right, when we talk about like 2% interview rates uh, that all these surveys of hiring managers are showing, when I showed the search for my last job search, when I searched from November to February, I got interviews at 11% of the jobs I applied to. Now, I'm someone who should know every possible way. Now, 11% is like five times higher what people are saying the national average is. But it's still a 90, you know, still an 89% failure rate. Right. And then I get interviews. And when I made that video where I said, here's six interviews I did this week, trust me, there were plenty of comments. You don't have to go in and make this comment. It's there already. But there are plenty of comments that say, oh, six interviews. Did you get any offers? Like, why should we take any advice from you? Like, because you can be really good at this stuff um, and you can move forward. But there's still a lot, especially in my field, right? If you're talking about recruiters, you're talking about people who should all be good at this. When you have 10 top tier recruiters interviewing for a role, still only one's going to get the role. It doesn't mean the other nine were bad. So you can be good. You can practice. You can learn these skills. But it's still a failing game overall. But it's the idea of putting yourself into as many situations as possible. As good of a resume as you can. If we say the average is 2% of people who get interviews, and these aren't hard statistics proven anywhere. They come from random surveys of hiring managers. But if we say 2% of people get the interviews, a great resume might only be 5%. Right, but that is still two and a half times the amount of average, even though it's 90% failure. You know, if we say the average candidate does 12 interviews before they get an offer, and I'm making that number up just off the spot, but if we just say that, 
right? There's going to be people who go above that. There's going to be people who go under that. But it still means that to be average at best is to do it all of these times and fail over and over again. So you put yourself in as many situations as you can to be successful. You build the best resume you can so that even if 5% is a good rate, you can be one of the 5% people and not one of the people below the 2% average. You want to be above it. And you put yourself in a situation where if it takes people 12 interviews to get a job, you want to be so good at it that it takes you eight interviews to get a job and not 16 interviews to get a job. So it's accepting that like it is still going to be a lot of failure. There is a lot out of your control. But yeah, these are absolutely things that you can be better at by just understanding the process and what goes on. It's like we started with the conversation of like why they're asking these things. I try to take this scientific approach to really kind of unpack it and talk about like, here is ultimately what they want. How you get there, that's up to you. But like show them this thing that they want and you'll be a little bit better off. What are the things that a hiring manager is relaying to a recruiter? Like, I mean, ultimately the hiring manager decides. And what I'm trying to get at is like, are there ways that people could research this? So the JD is one thing, right? but like, could I go look at the hiring manager's LinkedIn, right? And sort of like discern what they're going to care about. Like the things they talk about, the things that like in your conversations with hiring managers, like what are the things that they're saying to you? Like, hey, it's important to me that they have X, Y, Z. What are those X, Y, Zs? Yeah, that's tough. That does change by role. And that's hard to know because I don't know you can really go and research unless you go and find a hiring manager who's just so active on their LinkedIn and constantly talking about what they love on their team and things like that. Though you can get, get a bit of a read on who they are, I suppose. But yeah, they are deciding what, what matters most. And that goes back to the core competencies that we sort of talked about. And a recruiter and a hiring manager, just so people know, right, the very first step of a job opening is typically a recruiter and a hiring manager sitting down, doing a debrief meeting, doing whatever we call before the job launches, and right, talking through what are the competencies, what matters, what are things that are going to really kind of stand out here for, trying to figure out how can we get that across in the job description to at least save as many um, as much time as possible from people. But one thing I'd say is like, listen to your recruiters on the interview. That is the way to get this. The stuff recruiters are asking you about, that's the stuff they've been sent by a hiring manager to figure out, right? So if they are hammering you about a certain technology, if they're hammering you about a scale or a size of work or something, if they're hammering you about a certain soft skill, whatever it might be, understand this is what's important to the hiring manager. Um, so if you do make it through that screen, be ready and ask a recruiter. You'd be surprised how many recruiters will tell you, here's what to expect on the next step. Some will do it naturally on their own. They're not going to naturally just tell you everything that's going to happen. But uh, I will often tell candidates, you know, you're going to be meeting with this person. They're going to be asking you these types of questions. These are the things that are really kind of important to them to look for. Like you can get that info more often than you think. Yeah. That leads me to kind of what, what, what we'll end on here is questions. Oftentimes, I'm very impressed or unimpressed by the questions people ask in interviews. And it's not like, hey, hey you're interviewing them. There's like black belt level question asking you can do, right? Because like you can ask a question that sets you up a response for then like the spike in volleyball. And I think really being deliberate and intentional with the questions you ask is key. Like, what have you seen? Or like, you know, even have you ever gotten like anecdotal stuff from a hiring manager? Like, man, they ask these really great kinds of questions or, or the inverse. It's like, boy, they asked these things that were like right on our homepage of our website. They did like zero research. What have you seen like work well and not work well for the questions that the candidate can ask? 
Yeah. So when I talk to people about what questions to ask, there's there's a couple of things I tell them to focus on. And one is everything you ask should be something that helps you make a decision about the job for yourself, too. I think a common misconception is candidates think that they can use the question section as like a last minute sales pitch uh, and a last minute chance to save it. And you're likely not going to. Uh, if this is a no, if they have decided you're missing what you're missing with this job, you're not going to ask a question that makes them change their mind about you, unfortunately. So focus on one, what is going to help you learn about this job? And two, I think the best I can tell people is be specific, ask about stuff you care about and want to know. And ask about things that have to do with where this conversation has gone so far. People love asking, what questions should I ask? And I always say, like, look, if you want a list of generic questions to ask, they're everywhere. Google them. They're in ChatGPT. There are plenty of content creators who will tell you the same questions to ask again and again and again. My advice to you is to figure out what matters to you. Listen to the interview and ask questions around that. I love questions that start with the phrase, like, earlier you mentioned this or you brought up this, right? And we're, we're continuing a conversation. You want your interview to be a conversation. You want it to be one of these two-way streets, free-flowing conversation everyone talks about, then make it one. Don't make it something that you're reading off of a piece of paper. Make sure the questions you are asking were not answered during the interview, right? When you write down all these things, when someone tells you, ask, what are the key skills of this role? And that's what we just spent like a half hour talking about. And I really laid it all out for you. It's just sort of like, okay, fine. I'm not going to not hire you because of that. But you've really missed an opportunity to learn here. I'll tell you, those drive me crazy. Because it's like, we put a lot of time and energy into our JDs. And I was like, it was literally in the JD. They're like, what are the first six months in the role? It's like, our JD says, on week one, you will. On month one, you will. It's like, you just showed me you're not engaged at all. You didn't look at any of this. Yeah, you want hiring managers and recruiters to be engaged in you. You want them to be paying attention. You want them to be really listening to your answers and getting to know you. You have to do the same thing. You have to, I get it, work's not everyone's life, but you have to like care about something. And there has to be something you're interested in, right? And it comes down to what I always talk about, the difference in like asking what's the culture like, which no one has ever said bad. <laughs> That's another one of mine. I don't like questions. <laughs> Yeah, because ultimately that company you left, the toxic company that you hated and you left, if I went and interviewed there and asked what the culture is like, they would say it was good. Um, and that's what makes that question mean nothing. But ask about what culture means to you. You know, is culture to you the ability to learn? Is it the ability to make mistakes and be trained properly? You know, like, what does that matter? And ask specific questions about it more than just like these super general, oh, I'm supposed to ask questions. So here's a few that I Googled questions. You know, this is a topic that I'm, I talk about reluctantly because I understand the feeling of why do I have to do this? And it's like, the truth is you don't, but someone else will, and you operate in the market. And so you don't have to, you don't have to do anything, but someone else will, someone else will care. Someone else will read the JD. And it is my obligation to hire this person who gave a shit more over the person who didn't, you know? And it's like, so it's not that you're bad and I, I get it. You're busy. You're juggling a lot of things. You didn't have time to read the JD. I get it. It's cool, but someone else did. And so I got to operate from the information that I have and, you know, or, or be upfront about it. Hey, I did. I was running around. My kid was sick. I've been back to back to back. I just applied on Monday. We scheduled this for Wednesday. I wanted to be the first in line. Okay, cool. But just the, 
you know, in the absence of information, I think we sort of like assume worst intent. And so it's the key thing is like someone else will. Same with the thank you letter. You don't have to send one, but someone else will, especially in this market. So it's not personal. You're in a competitive market and someone else will. Maybe you meet all the requirements, but someone has more. You meet all the requirements that someone was in the same domain. Someone had the same industry experience. And so you can't just like assume people will give you the benefit of the doubt. If you've got that thing that helps you stand out, you got to do it. Yeah. And all of these always come back to the same idea, right? All of these come back to the idea of just like, it is what it is. And again, maybe one day it won't be, but if we're only going to focus on how to find a job right now, how to perform best in an interview right now, yeah, you do have to understand that like, this is what's happening and people are asking questions and people are caring. And the truth is, even in your scenario of the person who scheduled it real quick and their kids were going on and everything else, they could still be listening to you, learning about the job and asking questions, uh, or they could still say, how's this going? It can be as simple as that. Like, oh, you just launched this project you you talked about, like any hiccups with it. It's just showing in some way, like you said, that you, you give some kind of shit. And I get it. No one wants to. You don't have to. You don't want to. Fine. But ultimately, a company wants to hire someone who does. And I think that's fair. If you had your business, you could make the hiring process whatever you want. But I promise you'd still want someone to give a shit. You'd still want someone who just like was going to put any effort into it. If they came to you and said like, I'm not going to put any effort into this. Uh, I truly don't care. Just give me my paycheck. You're going to tell me in this scenario to prove a point that you'd still hire them. Uh, But I know you wouldn't when someone else would, who can also do the job equally well. And I think that's a big mistake. and, and, And this is an overall problem I think people have is the assumption that when you didn't get a job, someone worse than you got it or that they didn't hire. I hear that all the time. These jobs aren't hiring because I apply and I didn't hear back. It was just like, you're making the mistake of thinking they didn't hire. But what they didn't do was call you up and tell you who they hired. You don't know that they didn't hire. You don't know any of that stuff. Uh, you don't know the person they hired is worse than you. You just assume they are because you think you're a 10 out of 10. Maybe this other person was too. There are people getting jobs. And this market's hard. Most people aren't getting jobs, right? But people are getting the jobs. And there's no reason not to take some of the tips that people who do this and are just trying to help navigate it are giving you. When I get on here, I'm not a corporate shill. I'm not working for any of these companies. I have no investment in you, none. But I'm trying to just sort of like help you get a little bit further in your process. And I get it. It's a process that feels incredibly lopsided from the power dynamics. It is lopsided. It's not even like that it feels. It is. A company has the decision to hire you or not. It is lopsided. Now, you could choose to whether to take that job or not, but ultimately, they extend the offer. They are the buyer in this relationship. You are the seller, you know, ultimately. So even if you're a highly coveted, the you know, the 0.01% ML engineer, ultimately, the company chooses to make the offer, you know. And you know, power dynamics by position and things like that obviously make a difference. But it's a selling motion. And if you want to land this job and you're not one of the folks in like the rare air that's got, you know, job applications just like popping into their inbox, you got to sell and got to play the game a little. Well, Mike, this was fun. Probably got a little rantier than I usually get. But, I, you know, from following your content and knowing you, I know we both got some. I bring that out in people. <laughs> we got some deep feelings here. And. It's sad to see people like knowing the inside of the sort of machine 
and seeing people so hurt and affected by it, it's sad. And I, and it's not in any way like taking away their reasons and their feelings, their valid feelings. But it's also almost like very logical. It's actually less emotional than it may feel like, it was just super hard to convey. But like having watched like how the sausage is made, it's just way more mechanical than I think a lot of people realize. Yeah, it's both more mechanical and just a lot less happening that you think is happening, right? All of these like <laughs> weird little things like art, like it's just people trying to figure it out as they go. Uh, it's all humans. And I always say it's like hiring teams are overwhelmed and they're trying to figure it out too. Um, and it's not to say that their position's worse than someone who's unemployed, but like they're also just struggling. And I've showed videos of how many resumes I get, you know, when they when it just gets busy. It's hard and everyone is struggling that way. And right, it's the whole approach I take. It's my whole style. And I know it's not for everyone. I know there are people who think I sound condescending or like an angry dad at them. And like, that's fine. But like, my approach is always going to be like, this is how it is. Call me defeatist. Fine. But it is. And I want to sort of like help push you through this sort of just like shit that we're in right now, rather than just sort of sit back and be your bestie and talk about how we wish it was another way. Like, let's just deal with what it is. And then maybe it'll change one day. Red pill Pedito. Take the, <laughs> so get out of the matrix. Now let's get in the real world. <laughs> well, amazing. This was super helpful. Um, how can folks follow along with your no BS, straight up, really good, non-condescending uh, content? I'm a little condescending, but it's okay. To the right people. To the right people. To the right people. I had someone in my comments the other day on that, like, don't be shitty video. Like, was it like the time that you called me a baby? Because uh, during a live, this happened. And I just replied, well, to be fair, you were being a baby. But yeah, they're probably right. I shouldn't have said that. So if you're listening, I'm sorry. User 68723199 or whatever your numbers are. But so you can find me on TikTok. It's Realistic Recruiting. It's the same on Instagram. But my Instagram, I'll be honest, is just a bunch of repurposed TikToks. You can find me on YouTube also realistic recruiting. There is nothing uploaded there, but one day there will be, uh, I promise. And I just launched a newsletter. Today was the very first issue. I've been planning it for months. Um, my unsubscribe rate is going to go through the roof because people have been signing up for it for months and then finally get an email that they forgot about. But you can sign up for that if you go to my TikTok or any of those pages, the link in my bio is this newsletter. It's a free weekly newsletter where I really dive into some topics that I can't do in videos. And you can also connect with me on LinkedIn. Mike Pedito. I've recently tried to become more active on there, despite the fact that I spent years never using it. Amazing. We will link to all that in the show notes. Mike, thanks so much. This was a good conversation on sort of potholes and trials and tribulations of the job search uh, from both sides. So thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed listening to that episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. We are here to help job seekers. The point of this show is to give you the behind the scenes look at the hiring practices of companies and to debunk a lot of the myths and fear mongering that's out there. So if you like the show, please subscribe. Would love for you to write me on LinkedIn or comment on one of my posts if you'd like to be a guest. We're really looking for practitioners that are in the hiring role, whether it be a hiring manager or a recruiter. We wanna give people that inside view to what it looks like like to be hired and to understand the inside view of how companies operate. So please let me know. And if you're job searching, check out Teal, tealhq.com. We are here to help you land a job you love. All right, thanks. And we'll catch you on the next one.